Folks, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show, and what an honor it is to connect with a cat who has been inspiring people to be themselves for many years on many different artistic levels, and, you know, he started his career uh, as a a thespian in theater, uh, performing for audiences and uh, off-Broadway and things like that. And then over time, uh, once he started to acquire uh, some cameras and specialty equipment, he realized that his real calling was actually uh, in-the-moment, real-time photography. And uh, recently, uh, a dear friend of mine, Dr. Rob Finefield, came along and started to, uh, it reminded me actually of this story uh, about my guest who took an iconic picture of the uh, famed concert of Bangladesh, which uh, has now been signed um, by all the musicians who contributed to the music and the devotion and the love of that day. And it is our hope that uh, through promotion and, uh, and through just sort of a cohesive uh, unit of of enlightenment and information, we can uh, wind up uh, using the proceeds um, uh, of the painting to um, support a very notable food bank in the Los Angeles area. And uh, I couldn't be more proud to be part of the project. Cliff Lipson, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. Jake Feinberg, thank you for that great introduction and the sort of uh, rolling out what. Um what we're looking to do here uh, uh, in terms of promoting uh, the food bank. But I uh, just want to make a couple of... Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Light corrections. Unfortunately, it is not signed by all the participants. Mm. Uh, it is not, but it's per- it's signed by five of the... Five of the eight... I should be, yeah, I should be a little bit, because Ravi and and George passed away, and, and, right. and then who's the other cat that I'm missing? That Jesse Ed Davis, well... Um, well, Jesse Ed's gone too, yeah. Yeah, Jesse Ed Davis, uh, George, and um, and Billy Preston. And Pre- so it's, it's, and Preston and, and, well, Ravi too, and Ali Akbar, anyway... The the so it's been signed by Clapton, Keltner, Leon, Klaus, and who's the other cat I'm missing now? Ringo. R- thank you. You know, yes. Cliff, I just wanted to ask you, stepping back for a minute. I mean, I realize that a lot of your uh, photography work was done, uh, you know, headshots, uh, cele- you know, actors, and all different types of things, but. Going back to that period of time, late 60s, early 70s, can you just talk about how music dictated our culture at that time? Um, How it dictated our culture. I I think it was something that was speaking to uh, our generation then with music that wasn't speaking uh, as of yet. I mean, gr- the, the great beginnings of rock and roll with, uh, with Chuck Berry and with, uh, with the, but, uh, and I'm trying to just throw out names. I don't know, you're probably better off doing that than I am, uh, Bill Haley and the Comets. Uh, but there was, when, when the Beatles hit the scene mid-60s, I think it just completely overhauled how the youth of this country listened to music. 
how they appreciated music, how they appreciated the words and the thoughts and the intent. And um, I think it uh, was a, a tremendous beginning, and I, it was, I was thrilled to be a part of it. Um, well, you know what, I, I ask you because, like, um, in today, I mean, I just talked to a lot of cats over the last 11 years, and, and it, it, you know, I, I wasn't born during that time. I was born in 78, but I just, like, I, uh, it, it, there was a social consciousness, uh, especially in jazz, uh, there was a, um, it, it was, there was something attached to the music that was uh, at a higher spiritual plane. That's not the case today. And a lot of that has to do with um, the type of music that is being produced, the sort of lack of authenticity or lack of humanity within the music on a, on a larger scale. I just wonder if you could talk about, for you, what the significance of music has meant to you over the years and, uh, you know, and ultimately like, you know, yeah, the Vietnam war was going on. There were a lot of different types of movements and things like that. But, um, that, how, how big a music fan, how much did it dictate your cult, your life? Uh, I, I was, I was a huge music fan at that time. Um, and I, I was into when I was, when the Beatles uh, hit the scene in December of '64. At least that's when I first hold, I heard "I Want to Hold Your Hand." It it was such a revelation to those who were listening to music because prior to that, it was uh, it was Peter Paul and Mary. It was folk tunes. Yeah, it was like Dylan, dog doggy in the window and stuff, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> Dylan was uh, right. certainly on the scene, but. He hadn't. He was slowly breaking through because of the the protest movements that began with civil rights, with uh, the protest, with the Vietnam War. But um, and so we were listening to you know, other than the songs that were popular, and the songs that were popular it was a. Uh, a show on television called Your Hit Parade, and every week they do the top ten tunes, and they do they do sort of little vignettes hmm. to go along with the tune, hmm. and those were the those were the top ten tunes of the time. I I'm trying to figure out when that probably late fifties that show sure. early sixties. I really yeah. don't know offhand, but in terms of it was. For me, it dictated my life because every week I put away money to go and buy, go to either EJ Corvettes, which no longer exists because they had the best record. Dude, I, wait, hold on. Was that in New York City? Yeah, New York City. That is so, wait, that was a, I've never heard of that record store before. It, well, it was a, it was a, it was sort of a lower end kind of Macy's. I love this. That's exactly my had, wheelhouse. They yeah. Had albums. The only two places really to get, music to get lps or 45s was ej corvettes and sam goodies absolutely long before tower records and then there was i think goodies was 47th in broadway 48th in broadway somewhere around there 
and then there was slow, you know, record stores slowly opened up. And then, of course, there was Tower. I don't remember. Tower was more West Coast at the time. Absolutely. And Tower didn't really birth until, like, the early 70s. And that was on the... Did you know... Did you? I know you are not a musician, but did you know that, that store, Manny's Music? Yeah, in New York? Yeah, legendary store. I mean, all yeah, the cats yeah. were going there, yeah. It was on... Manny's was on 47th, just east of Broadway. I mean, every band would go in there. there a lot of yeah. great, not a lot of, I don't think they sold vinyl, but a lot of instruments. I mean, it's just a mat. No. I mean, so, so you were, so you continue, you'd save your money, you'd go in into the street. Go in and buy yeah. one album a week. That was it. <laughs> one album a week, whether it was, whether it was uh, rock and roll, whether it was classical, whether it was jazz. I mean, the classical label was Deutsche Grammophon. Absolutely. Yeah, and so it was all these incredible concerts. And when I was first in New York, when I was going to school, uh, I worked as uh, as selling uh, bonbons and good and plenty at Carnegie Hall, and then became an <laughs> usher. So I'm listening to all these concerts live, this incredible music, and the closest thing that Carnegie Hall ever had to rock and roll was the Mamas and the Papas. But they, I think they did, the Beatles did do Carnegie Hall, but that was before I was working there. Right, right, right. It so, was... um, so anyway, it was about, with classical music, it was about just filling up my, my collection as much as I could and, uh, back then. And I still have that with me i just slept that from new york i love it dude. wait hold on were you i i gotta i i really want to believe that you were also trekking down to the to the gaslight to see hugh romney wavy gravy rambling jack out were you into the folk scene or were you kind of a classical cat no no i was i was into the folk scene the popular i was working down in the village wow uh, at uh, the Circle in the Square sure. Theater. Holy cow. Wait, you were actually, you were doing acting there. No, no, I was I was going to school then, but I was, that was my first job in New wow. York. Wow. As a part-time usher, ticket taker, and, and floor mopper. And, uh, <laughs> I love this. And I made $15 a week. So, uh, and I got free meals in between shows on the matinee, so... How could you go wrong? Fifteen back then for a week. No, it's not so. It was a weekend, basically. It wasn't a full week, but yeah. Anyway. So you would you would you would go to the Village Gate, or you'd you'd be going to see folk acts. Yeah, or where was I mean? Uh, let's see, the, the Village Gate, the Vanguard. Um, there was a. I'm trying to think what. Oh, Gertie's what? Gertie's Folk City. Yeah. That, I don't think I ever went to Gertie's Folk City, but I know that uh, that at one time, Tiny Tim yeah. was a bark barker outside one of the clubs. I don't know whether it was Cafe Wa or... Oh, that's, yeah, I, you know, it might have been, he was, he was just, he was just a, a, being a, uh, he was busking yeah. on the street at that time? Yeah, he was hawking for people to come in oh, and... this is uh, classic. ...and see the shows, but... Um, yeah, it's, um, you know, it was, and it was also, even though it seemed inexpensive then to get a ticket, 
it wasn't inexpensive to us who were starving students. No, starving absolutely artists, not. So. I mean, you. So it's fair to say that you're. Um, because what was so iconic about at least the gaslight is just. I mean, even though I mean I used to hold it as a badge of honor, but uh, obviously the world caved in on him. I did two separate interviews about his in career and in, his involvement with the musicians with Bill Cosby. And Cosby, oh. Cosby started at the Gaslight, you know, but they, they'd have like Coleman Hawkins opening for Wavy Gravy. I mean, this is the most unbelievable smorgasbord of entertainment. And it, to me, it was a golden era of, and I know there was a lot of rough stuff going on. And I know people were starving to death. And I know that there was, you know, you were ensconced in sort of the heavy civil rights movement, but it was before... Martin Luther King got assassinated. It was before, oh. I mean, uh, b yeah. you know, it, it, to me, like, there was this, this, uh, I mean, Coltrane passed away later, Robert Kennedy. It just, it was one after the other, but there was this sort of burgeoning sort of, I don't know, I just wanted to talk to you about sort of um, that ability to be inspired. Uh, you have a great quote the Salvador Dali quote that, that I, I just love so much. An artist is not one who is inspired, but one who can inspire others. And I feel like that is exactly what I've been trying to do at least the last few years, especially when I go on the road and I'm in front of the band. And I realize that the collective consciousness, it's not just about the band going there. It's about the audience going there as well, if not more and bringing that fanaticism to the bandstand. And I just feel like you—you know—have you been kind of fanatical your whole life in some way, in in a, in a, in a good way, in a good way, you know? Yeah. Well, it's—I uh, it, think fanatical. I—I use the word passionate. <laughs> over, over yeah, I know. Fanatical's gotten. A, I love—I love being a fanatic. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Being fanatical's got a bad rap. It does. Yeah. So you're passionate. You've been. Where did where did you conjure up passion for the unsung, for the artist? Where did where do you think that came from in your in your lineage? I uh, you know what I I don't know, but I know that you know growing up as a kid, my parents were both very much into um, the arts in terms of music and 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 dance and theater, and so we were as kids we were exposed to it. But um, uh, my I don't know whether my desire to be an actor came from the fact that I couldn't do anything else and thought, okay, this will be good. Or actually I did a show in high school and that was sort of the quote unquote cliche of being bitten by the bug. Sure. You know, but later on I learned that both my parents were frustrated performers. So when I said, look, I'm not going to college, I'm going to New York and go to an acting school and I'm going to uh, be a professional actor, they didn't say no. <laughs> <laughs> they were rooting for you. Yeah, they were, in a way. So, what, Tell so me a little bit about, I mean, I'm always curious about, I mean, I know, I mean, you, you, you did more than just dip your toe in the water with acting. You did quite a bit. When it came to having, like, pit, like, were there bands that were in the pit with you? I mean, can you talk about the live well, uh, oh. some of the, because I mean, to me, like, it's almost too hard to imagine, but there'd be like, and I'm not saying this was you, but like, you know, for, you know, off-Broadway hair or, uh, you know, the, they'd have like 
a quartet, like keyboard, electric, bass. I mean, it was like the funkiest. I just wanted you to talk a little bit about those, the pit musicians. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Well, uh, I did not, I did hair on Broadway. That was my first. You did hair on Broadway? Yeah. Oh my. Yeah. I didn't do it down at the public, which is, hair was the first show to open the public theater ever. Wow. So, uh, and then when it closed there, it moved up, I think, um, it moved to, they found, uh, I don't think this was right away. They never, it wasn't like they went to Broadway immediately. They were at the Cheetah, which was a club on Broadway. Yeah, kind of, kind of rings a bit, but yeah, interesting. Yeah. That's, anyway, that's a fascinating. So eventually yeah. they got to Broadway, and when I, I came to the show about eight, nine months after it had opened on Broadway, so it's like March of... 69 the band were these let me see how many members are, they were on a flatbed truck i love this is go ahead this is it on the left side on the left side of the stage charlie brown was the lead guitarist he stood in the well between the raised deck and the flatbed truck dude i am obsessed with charlie brown dude he's still oh. he's still with us isn't he yes he is dude he's yes, he, 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 he he i dude the, i cannot believe you just dropped dude was he <laughs> he was playing electrified guitar he was playing acoustic and electric guitar oh yeah. my char go ahead continue and and uh matter of fact one of the most moving things from the show was uh it was just uh acoustic guitar and two voices what a piece of work is man oh my god uh, which is just exquisite holy cow I'm trying to think, um idris muhammad was the i drummer. was gonna t i was just gonna ask you about i'm like he's not gonna know who idris and idris muhammad was crushing hair dude he was on and, fire yeah and idris is what was his name before he became a Muslim? Yeah, um, no, uh, give me a minute. Uh, uh, was it Morris? Was his last name no, Morris? It's gonna, you just give me, give me once. It's, uh, okay. it's, I'm, I'm blanking right now. You got me on, <laughs> you got me on the roll right now. I mean, they were on a, you're telling me it was a flat bed. So you, it was Charlie Brown, Muhammad, who else? Uh, Jimmy Lewis on bass. Oh my God, dude! Jimmy uh, Lewis, dude. Uh, yeah. Um, was he playing electric, uh, electric bass or upright? Yeah, he was playing electric, fretless electric bass. Oh my God, this is sick. This is sick. All right, and then uh, who was the horn player? Eddie. God, I don't remember his last name. I'm sure it's somewhere. The you know you can look up the original musicians. Was he was he playing player. Was he playing saxophone? No, he was playing trumpet. All right, I'm going to find out about that immediately. I think he was playing brass, but I think he only played trumpet. I don't think he played sax. There was a rhythm guitarist, Al Fontaine. Al was Fontaine. The rhythm guitarist. <laughs> Al Fontaine. And I think that was it in terms of... There was one other cat who must have played... Um... I don't know whether he played other brass or he played woodwinds. I'm not sure. But he's the only one I can picture sort of salt and pepper hair and glasses and a, a, a smaller frame guy, but I, I don't recall his name. And I think that was it. And the key was, here's the, talk about the passion, Jake. Yep, yeah, rip, yeah, hit, hit it. If you could get the band to laugh at something you did or said, you were golden because they'd been sitting there and hearing the same stuff every night. Oh, and my God. I freaking band, love this, dude. 
Oh man. So, so <laughs> that, how did actually, did you wind up, uh, how did you wind up getting the gig, like getting into the gig? Okay. Uh, I'll make this as quick as possible. Yeah, sure. Uh, I had auditioned for the show, uh, and I had a callback for final callback and I was out of town and I could not make the final callback. Uh, I had worked with, uh, I'd worked up at the Woodstock Playhouse as an actor before, before that time. You mean in the, and, in the town of Woodstock? Yeah. Yeah. By the way, by the way, uh, Idris is, Idris is name, Leo Morris. Leo Morris. Right. Yes. That's Leo it. Was Morris because his wife was, uh, De- I think his wife's first name was Deanna. She was in the show. Oh my anyway, God. go ahead. So, um, so I, so I, um, I got in touch with the stage manager and I said, look, I can't, I'm out of town. I can't be back for the, for the callback for the final. He said, well, look, uh, I said, and I'm going out on the road with a, a, a bus and truck tour of a show. He said, well, look, give me your itinerary. And if there's an opening, we'll bring you in. Hmm. And I thought, okay, great. So I gave him my itinerary, and most of it was one-night stands. It was a couple weeks here, a couple weeks there, but I was in Jackson, Mississippi, and I got a phone call from Fred, the late Fred Rhineglass, who was the stage manager, stage manager. And Fred said, how soon can you be here? <laughs> he said, we've got an opening for a swing, which is a person uh, who covers all the male roles in the, in, in the tribe, not the lead. Sure. All the sure. So I said, I got to get out of my, I had a six month contract. I said, I got to get out of my contract early. And I called, um, Shirley rich. I don't know whether Shirley's still with us or not, but she was Hal Prince's, uh, casting person. She cast me in the show and I called her at home. Like, I don't know how I got her own number and how I got so bold. Who the hell knows? <laughs> and I said, Shirley, I just got an offer to come into the cast of Hair on Broadway. And she said, I said, I got to, she said, how soon do you need to leave? I said, two weeks. But my, I've got still another like month on my contract. She said to me, I've never prevented anyone from moving up in their career. Consider it done. Oh, man. I know. I know. So I called Fred <laughs> back and I said, I'll be there in two weeks. And in two weeks, I was back in New York and rehearsing during the day and watching the show at night. And then I think I, after a week, I think I went into the show and that was, that was my first Broadway show. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm like in, in a lot of ways, I, I just feel that, um, it, it, my show, a lot of it is, uh, unscripted. There's a lot of spontaneous improvisation. Did, yeah. did some of those parts just so you could keep yourself, uh, inspired to a degree, did any did you learn to improvise in an acting kind of way at that time? I know you couldn't go off the deep end and throw everybody off, but I mean, were there were there opportunities for you to sort of learn to find your own voice and, for lack of a better word, wing it occasionally? On occasion, yes, we we were allowed to be creative. Let's put it that way. You you, you have an example of some some memory you have. An example is yeah. okay. An example is there is a scene in the show before the quote unquote Claude's trip, and where we where the cast did takeoffs on well known commercials 
never say the word pot or marijuana or never use, say, grass or right. weed or but not say and would do parodies on existing commercials like and we were allowed to create them just as long, you know, just as long as it was within the construct of what that particular scene was. And um, so it was, uh, there was a, an ad uh, on television uh, for, for Glad, Glad. Uh, uh, Trash bags. bags. Yeah, 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 yeah. Stealing, but whatever they're called. Uh, freezer bags, refrigerator bags, right? Sure. So the lead in was instead of man from Glad, it was man from bad. <laughs> dealer, dealer and buyer in trouble. <laughs> and Ted Lange, who was in the show at the time, who's now uh, doing the reboot of uh, The Love Boat, Ted Lange would swing in from the rope with a cape on as the man from Bad. Oh, man. And then interact and, and say, you, what, what have you been keeping your, 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 whatever it is, your grass in, whatever you say. And he said, I'm keeping it in this foil. He said, this foil, no, you've got to use a... A baggie. <laughs> yeah. so it was, that was the, you know, don't wrap it, bag it in bad. You know, it was, we, we were allowed to just do silly things like that. Well, I mean, so. that's a monumental. Uh, <laughs> how, like, did it, do you feel like, um, how many, engage, like, after that, you were, once you were, is it similar to on the acting side? Like, where, I mean, I've interviewed so many cats that, were part of the, the, the studio scenes in New York, you know, they'd be at Jim and Andy's, you know, hanging out and then they get calls to do jingles and commercials. But, you know, a lot of them were hesitant to go on tour, let's say with a big act or something, cause they might lose their space as a studio shark. And I just wonder, right. you know, once you got embedded into, uh, that scene, um, were you just in for the next few years? Did you find yourself just getting more and more opportunities to act? Um, I, I did at a high level. You weren't in Miss. I'm not saying you like you. You weren't going to Mississippi anymore. You were primarily based no, in New York. No, I wasn't going to Mississippi yeah. anymore. No. Um, no, with hair, I think I did the show initially for about nine months or so, and then I got an offer to replace an actor, actually, with whom I'd done hair. And he and his writing partner wrote a, an off-Broadway musical that they were starring in. And he, he and his partner were planning to leave, his writing partner, were planning to leave the show. And he called me and he said, look, of all the people I know in this business, he's, he said to me, which is a very nice compliment. He said, you're, you're much more suited for this role than I am. So why don't you come in and meet the director because I'm leaving the show and come in and, and do the show. Meet them, you know, uh, you don't have to audition. I mean, if they ask you to sing, you'll sing. If they ask you to read, you'll read. But for the most part, it's yours if you want it. Wow. So I was doing, in, in hair, I wasn't doing any of the leads. I was doing, it was in the tribe and doing all kinds of bits and pieces, which was really a lot of fun and very creative and and uh, could be different every night, depending on what other uh, bits you were understudying. And so with this was a, a, a co-lead role of this off-Broadway show. And uh, the other actor who was coming in to replace uh, Peter's writing partner was Barry Bostwick. Wow. <laughs> so I left and went 
to do this show on Broadway. In the meantime, I had done a commercial for a skin cream as a cast member of Hair. So I had that income. So I didn't, you know, it was like the, the off-Broadway money was, I'll tell you. Wait, hold on. It was a, it was a it was a it was a TV commercial or radio commercial. TV commercial, yeah. TV. Holy, commercial. that this is classic. And also, like, <laughs> I mean, you must have been. I mean, you must have been making some decent bread with hair, uh, though. Or at the, uh, decent bread. Okay. I mean, I didn't say a lot of money. I said decent. You know, better, better. Decent, well, yeah. at the time and where you know what the cost of living was. Absolutely. I guess, but yeah. Broadway Actors Equity Broadway minimum. When I joined here, it was $135 a week. Hmm. Wow. That's not a lot. No. And then you could get add-on stuff depending on what other bits you covered. Exactly. I was going to say, do you get like double scale if you did like multiple understudy parts or if you were doing... You, got, yeah. you didn't get double scale, but you got extra money for doing it. You got extra money for... <laughs> it's great. I mean, dude, because you could make your rent, and I don't know where you were living, but I mean, you could get ahead. You really could get oh, ahead. Hell yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had, I had a studio apartment with an alcove, very big back in those days. An alcove. I love alcoves, dude. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I had a studio apartment on Eighth Avenue between Thirteenth and Fourteenth, at the top of Greenwich Avenue. Unbelievable, dude! Third all the cats lived on the, that. All Gil Evans lived down. All the cats lived on that west in the west side of New York. That's unbelievable. Uh, and so that the building, actually, my wife and I were just in New York uh, last uh, month, and the facade of the building, the building is still there. The facade has changed, but the building is still there, and it was a third floor walk up. And it was seventy dollars a month. That is so freaking amazingly great, man. They care. People cared about the humanity at that time. I mean, it's just, it's. Yeah. I don't want to veer off, but um, it's just. I mean, compared to the squalor that you see in every major city now, it's just like. Not to say that there weren't homeless people before, but man, I mean, it just seemed a little bit more. Well, you could really, I guess that was the point, is that looking back in hindsight, maybe at the time it didn't seem like that, but I think when I talked to the musicians a lot too, because they were the same way. I mean, guys like Randy Brecker, or people that were mm -hmm. ensconced in the studio scene in New York, I mean, they'd be living in lofts for 120 a month, and they could make that in one week, and then really focus on the art itself, not the pressure of trying to just survive, but be, they, right. they really focus on the art itself. And I wonder with you, not that you were putting away a life savings or anything, but did you, looking back on it, were you able to go full force into your creative, you know, muse, so to speak, because you didn't have to be fretting about where, how you were going to pay the bills? That's a great question, Jake. It's because when I left Hair and went to do this off-Broadway show, it was, I think my salary was cut in half. I think off-Broadway minimum was $75 a week. Mm. But it was a co-starring role, and uh, I was able to get an agent out of it, have come and see me. Uh, you know, um, I think I did... I did a couple other commercials and print ad jobs because I had long hair. And really, at that <laughs> I need time, I need photos of you at that time, dude. Oh yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, I have photos. I have a I have a I think I have a copy of the commercial that I did. Oh dear, the skin commercial. 
the skin. Oh the skin my god! Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> so you you could actually take a less paying gig and get more exposure. You had an agent, yeah. in, and and that to me, and so that's there you go. And then what else? What transpired from from the off Broadway gig? Where where? Well, off Broadway. Here's the deal: is that that show closed, and I contacted the the uh, production staff at Hair, and I said my show is closing, and they said come back. We'll have an opening for you. Yeah, I mean, no this is what. just like, I don't know what, this is like, this doesn't sound real. This doesn't sound real. <laughs> I know, but it's true. It, and it was, a, look, here was another time for Broadway. It was a time when you could do a show for six months and then you'd be rehearsing that one during the day. Right. Then a new one during the day and still doing that one at night. Right. I did that with, I did that with, uh, not with hair, but I did with a show prior to hair where I was, working up in Connecticut and commuting for the last week in order to be at rehearsals during the day. And then they let me out early and I drive back up to do the show at night. And with, when I did superstar, the late Tom O'Horgan pirated about a half a dozen of us from hair when it was, you know, it was still running and it didn't close. It was, I don't know whether there was talk about it closing but to open a show on Broadway, to be in the original cast of a show on Broadway was something I think everybody who's looking to do that scene wants. So when O'Horgan came to us and said, look, we, I want to bring you uh, bring you guys over to do this Jesus Christ Superstar. And I don't think anybody said no. <laughs> so we were rehearsing Superstar down at the Ukrainian Hall on 8th Street during the day. And then doing the show at night. And they would, you know, there was, uh, we had matinees on Wednesdays and Saturdays. They would let us out to do the matinees. Um, it just popped into my head. Did you know that character, Moondog? Oh, God, yes. Please, because he used to stand on like 51st Street. I mean, and that, did, yeah, did you, I mean, well, tell me about, I mean, because I feel like he should have been on Broadway. <laughs> that well, guy was I, such I, a I wizard, man. Be. I used to go past him almost every day. That is, dude. I am loving this. This is the most insane life by far. And this is just in this. <laughs> you would say this is like six. What is this? Late sixties at this point? Where are this, we at? This is. Um, this is now Superstar Open October twelfth, eleventh or twelfth, nineteen seventy one. Whoa! That's so that's. Right I now. mean, that's the so. It wasn't that the same year that the concert for Bangladesh happened, or my, or is it? Yes, right. And and that was before I did Superstar. I was doing Hair on Broadway, and uh, actually a, a, a friend of mine I just recently saw in New York, Merle Frymark, who has her own PR firm now. She was working for Grief, the PR firm for Hair. Name escapes me at the moment. If I'm pressed, I can remember it. But she was working for them, and one day, one night, she said uh, she got on the PA before a show. We were getting ready to do the show, and she said, "I've got, I've got eight pairs of tickets or six pairs of tickets for the Sunday matinee of the concert for Bangladesh." Oh. I jumped over four people in my desk dressing room. And I got down and got the first two tickets. Oh, my gosh. 18th, 18th row on the floor, first and second off the aisle. 
that is so so wait you, in the so you had not you would you had not yet even been close to transitioning out of acting at that point. I mean, you were no, just you were no, just kind of just you I were was, just. Yeah. I was a, when I went on the road uh, before hair with uh, it was a bus and truck of fiddler on the roof. The farthest west I'd been as a kid was was Chicago, and I had never traveled around the country, so I wanted to document it. So I got a dopey camera. <laughs> and um, and I started taking pictures. There was a guy in the company who was a photographer, who was an amateur, and he showed me a couple things. This camera was you a fixed lens. Yep. You couldn't take the lens head, and it had a light meter inside. It was a little needle that would go back and forth, and um, that's some of my. Some of my best photos were taken with that camera. Uh, you know. Uh... You know, so so I want to be clear. I mean, obviously, you know, everybody, you're right. The Beatles, because of their originality of songwriting and because they were incredibly gifted, but people would consider them skiffle players. They didn't come out of the academy at all. They they were right. self, self-taught, self <laughs> you know. And, like, so they definitely changed the game. Um, how hip were you to... Uh, the world of Indian raga music, like Ali Akbar Khan. I don't think I realized that he and Ravi opened the show that that, that mat- matinee. Um, it, it was it it was um, it was it was. Um, um, were you had you had you seen Ravi at Monterey yeah. Pop or anything? Or were you it was, no. was was that on your yeah. Uh, Ravi Shankar, Ali Akbar Khan, it was one of them. I have photos of them. Uh, dude, that, those those photos are, that's incredible stuff, too, because, <laughs> do, oh, you, you know, Ravi is very well known. Ali Akbar Khan opened a school in, in Marin County. Uh, he could have easily gone on and toured the world and become a star, and, and his whole mm-hmm. philosophy was like, I just want to give back. I want to pass the knowledge on. That the, all those guys were like that. I mean, it was unbelievable. Mm. I can't believe you have photos of that's epic stuff. I did not realize that they opened that show. Yeah, they opened the show, and uh, and it was Ravi Shankar who brought the whole plight of Bangladesh to George. And right. That's what that's what you know precipitated that. This the granddaddy of um, of of all the benefit concerts. I, I was not into it prior. I think I, as with Moondog, I have Moondog's album. Do you have the original copy of that? Yes. Are you kidding me, Lipson? This is unreal. Dude, I cannot. He did a couple. Man, dude, that man. Dude, I would do anything to catch a hang with that guy, man. I, anything. <laughs> I don't think he's on the planet. Anymore. No, he's long gone. I mean, dude. So you yeah. had Moon. So Moon Dog. I mean, I don't. I don't think I'd be hip. To, I. I don't think I would have been into. I, I maybe I'd be wrong, but I mean, at the time, you know, Wesleyan <laughs> was using their college, uh, uh, student fund to bring in all these different Indian. Sitar and Sarod players. I mean, I, the Beatles again had everything to do with bringing that music to the West. Yeah, and that's the same with me. I mean, listening to George, you know, the, the first time they used sitar, uh, uh, absolutely. Uh, which that's, I mean, I was listening to the Beatles, and that's what uh, sort of inspired me. I think I somewhere in my archives I have a, a Ravi Shankar album, but. Um, Primarily, it was the concert, and in terms of the concert, yeah, 
back in the day, very few people had cameras that could take pictures of concerts, except professionals. And they never handcuffed you going into a concert, bringing in professional cameras, professional looking cameras anyway. That is because, you know, but, today, today you'd have to, they, they would be confiscated or taken away. Yeah, yeah. of course, you yeah. couldn't bring it in. There's a, you, you know, you're barely allowed to bring in your phone. Dude, the phone is amazing. You're damn right. It's, I mean, there's the pat-downs are intense. But anyway, back then... I'm surprised yeah, they even then, let you do that because, but that's, I mean, you were 18th row, man. I mean, you were like a kid in a candy store. Yeah, on the aisle. And here's the killer of that. I had an eight millimeter, a super eight millimeter Canon camera, which I brought in. I put on a tripod next to me in the aisle and I, there's, it's not, no sound. There was no sound. And, um, Kodak used to make these 50 foot cassettes they could just instead of having to thread a camera you just stick it in and sure. close the door of the camera and let it run for 50 feet i've got 400 feet of movie film from the concept of bangladesh what <laughs> oh my god it, it came out pretty good too or you said it's yeah. is it is oh, yeah it, and it's just film it's not audio yeah, there's no audio. It's just well, somebody can in. sync that audio with it. That's pretty classic, man. <laughs> I mean, you can you can loop, you know, you can loop stuff into it now. Who knows? But anyway, so and the thing is, because I'm not a, I wasn't a professional photographer then. I was a decent amateur at the time. I didn't shoot the entire concert. I was really into the concert and listening to music. And the thing about photography, at least for me that I've found, Jake, is that when you you put that camera up to your eye, you remove yourself emotionally because you're looking at so many other things through the lens. Explain. So, ex this is so fat. This is that's the most profound statement, because I got to be honest with you. In today's you know, world, I mean, because I, I'm, you know, I'm, I do, uh, the, you know, the podcast, but I also go, just came right. off the road. And I do a lot of videoing, especially in the moment, live when the band right. is peaking. And I fundamentally, with new media, social media today, I think I, I try to, I love that you didn't have the distractions of that back then. To me, that was the key to what you just said. What did you say that again? What you just say? You were, you were trying to block out your emotion. You have no. When you put up that camera in front of your face, you remove yourself emotionally from the moment because your your thought is, "I'm going to capture this moment." Right. So to experience the moment, you got to to experience it. This is just me. You know, it's just my vision. I don't think anybody else taped this one into me. But the example is when when I was at I'm a, I'm a long suffering Mets fan. Especially, and this year is very hard. Uh, I, I tell you, they and I thought they were really going to make a run, dude. I, so did, I. did they just? No, fed, but anyway. typically, it's, I'm a Tiger fan, so don't worry about it, man. Yeah, but so, okay. Yeah. So, sorry about that. <laughs> um, so when I was at the the seventh game of the World Series in 1986 when the Mets won. Are you, dude? Bruce Hurst, Ron, Sid Fernandez saved that game, dude. I was like eight years old, man. <laughs> I was dude that was that was a pretty I was up in uh in Mohonk and at game 6 and my dad's like Let, we and I was in I I passed out and my dad was listening like to this little transistor radio trying to be quiet in the bathroom and 
when they when the ball went through Buckner's leg, the entire Mohonk just the whole place just was shaking. <laughs> Go ahead, continue. Well, yeah, I was at that game too with my then girlfriend. Oh my God, you were at that. Did you stay? Did you stay to the end? If you you are not a true. Baseball fan. Dude, I'm I'm team. with you a hundred. I just of to me it it was just I can't. I think you're the first person I've ever met that was at that game. Well, at one moment we were all right. I shared a box with three other guys at Shea that uh, for a couple of years, and for and and uh, my <laughs> wife Valerie is an actress and singer with a serious set of pipes. Right. Actually, she's doing a concert this Saturday in Rancho Mirage at an outdoor amphitheater. Beautiful. Her one-woman show. Anyway, so I traded my one good seat for game six for two of the alternate seats that we had access to buy in left field. In like the second... In the pavilion? Yeah, second pavilion. Left field. Oh, my God, dude. That's where Ray Knight hit that homer in game seven, and there was just beer flying everywhere, dude. I cannot believe this. So that game, we're up there, and uh, Val had, not only had she sung the anthem at Shea that year, she also um, had learned the the rotation. Oh, yeah, she sung the anthem at Shea a couple of times. Oh, my. And that was just most amazing. Uh, Continue, please. Camden Yards. Anyway. Wow. um, So we looked at each other and said, you know, it's been a great season. And thanks to you, you've become a fan. And and over her shoulder, I'm looking. This is the the bottom of the seventh. Okay. I mean, the bottom of the night, and we look over, and on Diamond Vision, they flash, congratulations, world champion, Boston Red Sox. Bottom 10. Bottom bottom 10, yeah. The, the, bottom 10. Yeah, but oh, they, they, are you kidding? That is psychedelic, dude. That is totally psychedelic, dude. And then they pulled it off and won, and then this Sunday was rained out, and then Monday I went to the game. And I took my camera with a long lens. Oh, no. I, oh, no. Oh, no. So when they won, when Jesse threw the last pitch and he threw his glove up in the air, I waited to so I could celebrate that moment. And then I picked up my camera and started shooting. <sighs> so I have shots of them what did you on get? the mound oh, my. over, and Davey is running out halfway between the dugout and the mound in the photo. Uh, you just made my year, dude. That's one of the <laughs> – I mean, it was it was that whole – Get the Astro series, all the debate, uh, the, the, the Astro series, Billy Hatcher, it was going 16 innings or whatever. I mean, it's just, it's just really funny because I was watching, uh, hoping the Yankees would choke and lose to Cleveland yesterday, and I'm listening to <laughs> Bob Costas talking, reliving that whole Sid Fernandez thing because they fell behind 3 nothing in Game 7, and, and Darwin got taken yeah. out, and Sid, Sid saved the day, man, and then Ray Knight hit that homer. I mean, it was un. I just, if I was really a heart, I mean, I was a kind of a Met fan, but that, anyway, somehow we got sidetracked there. You, but, I know. but the, this I year, know. this year, the Mets lost. You said you were a little bit forlorn about that. Well, they lost because they, they didn't have, they didn't have the fire down the stretch that they, that they'd had earlier. In they the ran season. out of gas. Yeah. They were, they're yeah. a fun team, but, but I, but somehow yeah. that was going to tie into some other. Uh, it was tied. How this tied in was about. Being able to, once you pu- once you have the camera and up to your face, 
you step away emotionally as so that's what I'm saying. I so, so you, so you, you waited that moment to celebrate Jesse through the glove in the air, but once you put the camera up to your eye, it was that it was, was it. That was yeah, it. Yeah, I was now, I was now documenting the moment. Got that it. Happened. Got it. Got it. That's where, that's where this led to. Sorry, we went. No, on that's that. freaking amazing. I mean, so that, and so as it relates to, to the to concert for Bangladesh, I just again, I want to go back. Did you see the Beatles live when they came to the states ever? Never. Never. So you were getting off on their records, and then obviously, um, you know, you were. Can you just talk a little bit about the paint the picture for the audience a little bit about because the, the the photo that I've seen a couple times it's 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 long and thin. It's one of those yeah. cool. I love those. How did you wind up getting that that shot? Okay, that shot is done in. That's the. Sp- uh, I think it's While My Guitar Gently Weeps. I think that's the tune that was being played. But what I did was I shot this as close to sequence as possible. Mm. And, I mean, and it's sort of like I did the pan from where I was. And then we put we stitched those those images together. But it was exactly the way the stage looked. And we just pieced it together. Otherwise, they'd be like tiny in the screen from where I love what the who how. So, can you talk about the process when you? I'm not. I'm not obviously a, 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 a photographer guru or anything, but like when you talk about putting the different pieces together, how tedious was that process? Because that photo is money, man. I love that photo. <laughs> The thing is that it's that on the contact sheet with these three images, that's pretty much exactly what it looks like. It's just that maybe a little bit of the negative is overlapped. Mm-hmm. So let's say, for instance, it's a shot of in the frame, it's a shot of Billy and Klaus, and then Jesse Ed with Ringo George, and then Jim Keltner. Eric and Leon. Right. So it's like maybe on the contact sheet, that's what it looks like. It's three together. And when I looked at it, I said, this could be very easily done. And this was long before, uh, you know, digital about taking these three negatives and putting them together as the stage. I'm just blown away. I'm. Re- did you st- did you wind up staying for both shows or just the afternoon? No, just the afternoon show. And how? And so, talk about that in general. Like the performance. I know you were focused on getting content and stuff, but when you were in the moment, the Jesse Orozco throwing the glove in the air kind of analogy. Right. Talk a little bit about. Um, I mean, were they? Did you feel like they had? It was kind of a formula trip. Were they taking to? Were they going for it? I mean, just for me, it's. I've interviewed guys that were from the show. I can't say I'm that well versed in the actual content of the show itself. I, can you talk? Mm-hmm. A, you talk a little bit about like just the experience. For instance, like I, I gather there were a bunch of seats. You were at the 18th row, but right. were, were, was there people up there? Sort of, was there uh, an opportunity to dance? I mean, can you just talk a little bit about the music itself? No, I don't. I don't recall anybody dancing. Uh, maybe in the aisles, but maybe behind where we were. But for mo- most part, they they had to keep that area clear. And also, 
in the quote unquote pit area was where the the cameras were. If you look at the photo and you see there's uh, arcs of black, and I see that. People, yeah, totally. There are camera crews and bodies there, and so that's what creates that sort of roller coaster look in the foreground of that shot. That wasn't. I just shot it. I wasn't looking to be creative at that point. I just wanted to capture these guys playing. And I've got other, mostly concentrating on on, on George Harrison, uh, primarily the other photos I have. But when, when Dylan walked out, we didn't know that he was, no one knew that he was going to be on stage. I don't think even Harrison knew. Wow. According to, according to Je, um, Keltner. To Jim Keltner. Yeah. They knew he was in town, but they didn't know he was going to make it there or not. And then when Harrison introduced him and Dylan walks out with a guitar in his hands, the, the roof of the of Madison Square Garden blew off. I cannot. This is mind-blowing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, actually, I mean, I have to go back and look at my, the transcription, but I think it's very possible that around that same time, that was the first opportunity that Keltner and Jesse Ed worked with Dylan on a sound on the on the soundtrack. Uh, I forget uh, seventy one. It could have been around that same time. Um, that is remarkable stuff. And so he came out and just started belting out his own tunes. If nobody knew he was, well, yeah, yeah. I don't know whether whether they did they did uh, songs together first, and then Dylan sang solo. But I have solo shots of Dylan. I have a shot of Harrison and Dylan, and it looks like they're tuning. <laughs> they're, or they're looking at what chords they're playing. Probably the they're like, of. they're just, they're feeling their way through because this was completely spontaneous. Yeah, they haven't even begun to play. Wow. And then there are, you know, there are, because, uh, Leon joined them, and I'm not sure if Ringo joined them. I'd have to look through my contact sheets to see to see what kind of order. But I know I've got. Hold on one second. Yeah. Uh, hang on. I'm. I'll walk. Walk with me. No, no, you, dude. We can edit it. It's fine. Take your time. Okay. Um, well, I was going to say like that. <laughs> that. That he came, so how it was approximately like two and a half hours that matinee? How long was that that show? Um, that's my guess. I don't know because um, I don't know how long uh, Ravi Shankar and, and Ali Akbar. Played. Yeah, they they played and like half an hour maybe. And then they came on the 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 unit came on, and then Dylan came on for a couple of encores maybe at the end. Yeah. Wow. So I'm looking at a solo shot of Dylan. Um, with playing harmonica while he's playing guitar, uh, Ringo on tambourine, George on guitar on electric, Dylan on acoustic, and I and Leon is on guitar. I think he's. I think Leon's on bass. I think. Really? Yeah. Right. Uh, and then there's the two shot of Dylan and and uh, Harrison, and then there's a shot of. Uh, these are just the ones that are on my wall <laughs> with with, um, with George playing electric guitar and in the background, Jesse Ed 
Klaus and Jim Keltner. You can see Ringo slightly, but it's mostly they're muted because of the light that's on George. And then there's one with George. Um, and Ringo is behind him off his shoulder in profile. And Jesse Ed is, you can make out his face. But uh, you know, it, there's the light that's on Harrison is spilling off onto Jesse Ed. And uh, it's not lighting his face. But those are the ones that I have printed that are on my wall. <coughs> I just want you to talk a little bit about, um, I talked to Dr. Feinfield a couple of days ago. You were at the dinner when with Keltner when you showed him these prints for the first time? Yes. I mean, because because <laughs> can you talk about what made him so excited about these? Because obviously, you said there was a huge amount of press in the pit, but it was for syndicated, you know, shows or yeah. what? You know, I mean, what was it about the? Was it about the the angle you took? Can you talk a little bit about what I'm trying to get at? Is the idea of somebody who's interested in possibly acquiring this piece? What makes it? What made it unique to Keltner? It's the only photo that everybody's in the shot. Are you kidding? I, the I'm only photo of, ever. That I'm aware of. Oh, oh boy. That I'm aware of. I can't say that I know that for sure, but I'm aware of The other shooters were, first of all, I know that um, there was photography that was done during performance that was lost. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know where other photos from that evening that I've seen, and uh, I don't know where they came from. I know that, um, uh, I don't know whether Peter Brown is still living, but Peter Brown, who was with the Beatles and Abbey Road, Peter was Stigwood's right-hand person in New York. Mm -hmm. And Peter was heavily involved with Superstar. And Peter also knew that I had been at the concert. He knew I had photos. And he approached me and he said, look, uh, they've lost the photos. They were looking for photos to promote the movie of the concert for Bangladesh. Right. Me knowing nothing about this, I sold three or four negatives to the the promo staff, whoever it was. And I've seen those photos without any photo credit. Uh, well, we uh, not, uh, just, yeah, yeah. So that's you know, that's being naive to what. Well, I doing. also, man. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, we got to give it all away anyway, man. I, I yeah, yeah right, it's right. all good, you know. So anyway, so. Um, so. <laughs> Let me ask you something. Your your photos, though, because the pit photos uh, were a they were really close to the stage and maybe looking up, and the, yeah, and and you that. had the you had a depth shot, you know, where you could get the whole the whole crew. Yeah. yeah at one point, the close shots shots that I have of of Dylan and Harrison together, and of Dylan, I went flying down to the end of the the section where we were and I was shooting until one of the security people kind of shooed me back to keep the aisle clear. <laughs> I'm wondering, I'm like, that, where I'm like, I'm like, I'm glad that existed then. It just sounds like a free for all because no, you, it yeah, wasn't. yeah, I get it, it. Wasn't. Yeah. It was, there was plenty of security, but it wasn't the same kind of mania 
then than it was than it is now. I, I'm with you, man. Mania. Mania is the right yeah. word. You know, it's you know, we we've seen we've seen McCartney several times in concert. Um, my brother is very good friends with Abe Laboreal Jr. and his is. Um, and what's 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 so it just warms my heart because Abe Laboreal Sr. is like the, a dear uncle to me, dude. I love uh, that. Yeah, I mean, he's Abe, one of my favorites, dude. Abe Abe is Abe is uh, just. He's, he, I mean, he's a mensch in Jewish terms. Yeah, you know? yeah. truly, yeah. Yeah. truly a mensch. Anyway, so, um, so when when I um, went to see Doc Rock, right? Um, as a patient, Doc Rock. He was talking about his his um, hmm. his different organizations that he is involved with in terms of and I said, well, this is how I give back. I said, if you ever need a photographer for one of your things, that's how I give back. I love I'll, it. I'll do it. I'll do it free of charge, whatever, it, you know, whatever my cost is, that's my cost. But otherwise my time is. So I handed him my card and on my business card is the shot of Dylan and Harrison. No way. So I just want to be clear. You showed up as a patient to doc rock. Right. But then you give him the. How long ago was this? Uh, I don't know. I, I couldn't tell you. I, I don't. I don't do <laughs> right. well with. Past years. No, I'm just one. Like I mean, this was. You would say it's been like a couple decades, or you've know how long is no, your. No, no, no. Yeah. No, I probably maybe about ten years. Okay, I don't know. that's cool. We could call him his office and look at the charts. <laughs> <laughs> so he saw the card and freaked out. Yeah. He said, did you take this? And I said, my ego wouldn't allow me to have another photographer's photo on my business. <laughs> so he said, so he said, do you have others? And I said, yeah, sure. I have others from the concert. He said, well, here's a way that we might be able to, you know, market these and not market them, but to offer them as, you know, to bid for donations. And I said, oh, yeah, I've done that a couple of times with my kids' school. And, you know, I've done it, but not on a bigger scale. And I, it's never been this image. So we got, you know, we connected on a couple of things. And he said, really, I said, I just talked with Jim Keltner and told him about your photos. And uh, I'm setting up a dinner for the three of us. Oh, I love this. God, I put me a, me a fly wonder. on the wall for that, man. Yeah, and I want you to, and I want you to bring your photos. Oh my gosh! And and Keltner was had so many great stories about that night and about why he was there as a second drummer and you know. It, um, yeah, I can. Only, I mean, I can only. I've documented. I've have. I have some uh, some quotes from him about playing with Ringo uh, that night. Um, yeah, but um, I, you know, this is the to me. This is where the rubber meets the road because. I want people, when they hear this, <clears throat> to know that the proceeds <laughs> of of uh, of this photo are going to um, uh, this food bank. I, you know, and I what I, what I want you to talk about because back in '71, this was about refugees and the division in Pakistan and. Um, it was about the the flooding in uh, the the flooding and famine in Bangladesh. 
Exactly. And, and, yeah. but my, but here's the point. This is the crazy thing, man. Like, and I really just want you to articulate, I know you're not, um, have you, we, have you ever, why do we have <laughs> so much, uh, people, how many, we have people starving, uh, in this country in the, and we produce so much food and yet there's still kids that are hungry every day. Um, mm -hmm. people can't afford the, the groceries and yet there, there wasn't, have you ever seen this kind of crisis before in our country? Why, in, in your mind, why do we have this excess, this huge amount of su supply seemingly that just gets thrown out all the time and so many people that are, that are deprived of food. I mean, I just feel like that to me, I want people to know that the money would go towards being able to give people who don't have shelter, who don't have a lot of the things that we all are blessed with, an opportunity mm -hmm. to actually eat. Uh, you know, politically, uh, um, I, I honestly, Jake, I think it's, it, it's become so political. You, and you, you mean you mean like the people, the, the, the fact that people are like, give me a break, they're homeless, they're lazy, they don't deserve it, that kind of thing? I mean, what yeah, do you... Yeah, the, the, the politics of it has gotten in the way of the humanitarian side of it. Oh. And I think this country lost the humanitarian side of it with the assassinations of John Kennedy and Robert Kennedy, and you can say whatever you want as an anti-thing. I know for a fact with the documentaries i've seen on robert kennedy that he was very much concerned about that absolutely but the absolutely. thing is that there's a mantra in this country i think for and it is political that one of the tools is to keep people ignorant hungry and hopeless and they'll follow whatever i mean that's you know, man, you, you're, you're spot, you're spot. I mean, and I would only argue maybe keep them in debt, too, you know? Well, that, too, but yeah, but yeah, poor, hungry, it, that goes hand in hand, I guess. Right. But ignorant and hopeless. Yeah, but, and they also want people to not be introspective, but, you know, lash out at the other or the different ones or, you know, and then, point, yeah. then, then, then put their blame on people that don't look like them, so to speak, you of know? Of course. I mean, it's been... That's it's, and and you're and you you've down. always you've seen that in your your whole career. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 yeah. And the thing is that it, it's um How does it how is it how has it affected the this 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 idea of food forward starving people? How has that gotten politicized now? Because it's a, it's the difference between the haves and the have-nots. That's what that's is right. being. That's right. That's what's being laid out. It's going. Uh, look, when when this, for me, politically, I've never seen this country as divided as it is now, since I imagine what it was like during the Civil War or before the Civil War. Hmm. That's how I look at it. <laughs> And, and it's yeah. and and hist we even the latest remark coming from forty five yeah x forty five you know and the remarks he made against 
against members of the tribe. That's right. That's right. That's right. Oh, the just virulent anti-Semitism. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's and it's taken up as the gospel from this. I'm not. I'm trying not to get political. It's okay, man. You got it. I mean, but, it's 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 it, it, the 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 idea that it's somehow gospel to millions, tens of millions yeah. of people. That's what's really bothersome. I know seventy million people voted for this this character. Yeah, seventy million people. I thought it was bad when people voted for Barry Goldwater. <laughs> he, I mean, he, he, he was and looks today to be a completely fringe politician compared to, to, to forty five. You know, I mean, he's a, 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 at at the least he's a centrist. He was a centrist, you know. But anyway, it's just gotten out of hand, and there seems to be no way to check it. So we, I mean, it, we're looking at yeah. what's going on with uh, with Russia and the Ukraine, and now what's being done. It's like it's 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 I don't know whose quote it is, but it's man's inhumanity to man. Absolutely. So, you know, you see, it's like when you see all these drone shots of the people lined up for food when there was uh, with the. Natural disasters. Why does that stop? The natural disaster is you're, what you're saying. These people are starving. Exactly. They have no food. And why are we throwing stuff out? I mean, I know there. It seems to me that there are more organizations now than there ever were about feeding those who are food that's food fortunate. instability is the word i was looking for that that's food instability that, yeah that's yeah. the that's the new uh politically Term. correct yeah phrase. exactly right people who are starving oh, you can't say starving anymore you have to they're uh, right, exactly no it's well that's yeah that that's a whole other ball of wax starving yeah. and starving is too scary it's just you like i like to be called a fanatic but you like to be called passionate you know i mean yeah, it's, right. it's it's crazy <laughs> you know i mean it's it's just like so but you know, Cliff, I can just tell that you're, you know, your heart's in the right place, your soul's in the right place. You know that, you know, you've you've gotten breaks in your career. You've made the most of your opportunities. I just, how do you, because I learned this, uh, I just, I've learned this on my journey is that I can't change the world, but I can affect positive change in my world. And I right. just, and I know you kind of articulated it before, but, um, I just wanted you to talk about how uh, how you can. St- I go back to that Dolly quote, man. Artists inspire other people. They're not necessarily. It's not about them being inspired. And and I just want you to talk about how you continue to do that, and and what your hope is for uh, this these um, this incredible photo for the concert of Bangladesh for Bangladesh. Well. The hope is that there will be someone who will want to hang this on their wall or donate it to some, some something that it will be viewed by more. Yeah, do, donate it to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or something. Fame. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is, here's the thing <laughs> yeah. about this photo. I have tried several times to years ago to talk with a curator whom I met when I was doing a shoot there many years ago. Oh, in Cleveland. And, 
I'm sorry? In, you mean in Cleveland, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Yeah. <laughs> right? He's not there anymore. Uh, I don't know who is there. I, I've tried. It was during the pandemic trying to get through because I wanted to say, look, I've got these photos. It's the 50th anniversary of of uh, the concert for Bangladesh, the granddaddy of all these benefit concerts. And uh, you know, I want to send you these images but just all I'm asking is that you, 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 uh, you cover the cost of printing them and shipping them to you. I don't think I ever heard back from anyone. And I left messages. I know it was during COVID when people were not in the offices, but not. For, I got bumped around and hanged around. And when I told them I had the photo that was signed, they said, oh, no, that's a collector's thing. We don't put those up. We, we don't do signed photos. And I said, well, I have them that aren't signed. And, you know, it's... And they, and they still didn't want those. No. Somebody, it's so... You know, there's something... To, there's something there, going back to what we were just riffing on about the other, just the idea that the... Ben, I don't want to put... I don't want to speculate, but just the idea that it was a concert for a country outside of America... That there were Maybe. world musicians involved with the concert. It doesn't belong in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in America. That something about that just feels that that way to me. The, with the way you describe that, not getting I, any I, response. I I wouldn't. I would not. I don't think I ever went there with that. But it's very possible. Who the hell knows? Who knows? <laughs> so I mean, I let's hope. Yeah. All I know is that I have these photos. Um, they have been, they have been purchased by people who know I have them. They've been, I donated one to, um, to breakfast with the Beatles <laughs> at, uh, when they were celebrating George Harrison, the con when they were celebrating the concert with Bangladesh and I called Chris Carter and I said, whoever wins this next thing gets, this is, you can, you can offer this along with whatever, prize they were given i don't know what it was but yeah there's some cat one and who lived in the valley and when i got his information i packed i you know packaged up an image and sent it out so it's but um i i would love for them to be uh, actually the grammy museum here did put about a half a dozen photos on their wall when they did the the evening with uh, when the George Harrison film that Scorsese had made mm -hmm. was debuting, and they had this huge exhibit uh, on George Harrison, and they took I think about four or five of my photos, and they were on display from the concert. So we're talking uh, just to be clear the. Signed by the there's the one photo that is that would go to uh, food forward right. is right. the the beautiful shot of all the cats in the band signed by five or five of them five it's signed by yeah so it's from left to right it's the way that it's Billy Preston Klaus Vorman Jesse Ed Davis Ringo George Harrison Jim Keltner Eric Clapton and Leon Russell and signed by Klaus. We, that's, okay, Sound by Klaus, Ringo, Keltner, Clapton, and uh, Leanne Russell. Actually, I was 
in the presence of Leon Russell when he signed it. He was doing a gig at the Roadhouse, whatever that thing is out in the valley. Yeah, that's were you with were you with uh, uh, Doc Rock? I was with Rob. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. with Rob that night. Yeah, but um, when when um, when Jim saw the photo and what we wanted to do with it, he I made the prints and they're. I'm trying to. I, let me find a tape measure. I'll tell you how big it is. Sure. The one we have is framed. That Rob has, that Rob has in his possession. Oh man, framed man. It is framed. Oh, is I framed. love that, dude. Right. It's framed with a uh, with a non-glare uh, glass. The image is. Well, I can't count the. The frame is almost 42 inches long by by 20 inches, I mean 40 inches wide by 20 inches, uh, nine inches high? No, 20 inches high. And it's only got, it's got about an inch and a half border around and the image itself is 30, almost three feet by 14 inches. Well, and, yeah, and it's signed by me, and it's uh, it is the one I have is three of five that exist. So the one that the and the other ones are all the other performers got this. They, I don't know where they got a smaller. I think they got this size print, and they all signed it. We sent. Rob did sent the when Klaus heard about it, he wanted to sign it, so it went to Berlin. And then when when uh, Clapton heard about it, it went to London, and he signed it. And then we eventually we got it back. I mean, I would have loved to have gotten um, everyone to have signed it, but it is what it is. Hey, I mean, it, it's the the whole thing with Klaus too. It took a long time to get it back, <laughs> so I'm yeah. I'm glad that. Um, I mean, Cliff, we just burned through 80 minutes of a hang here. That was just absolutely <laughs> classic. And when next time I'm out, uh, you you guys are out in Los Angeles area? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, let's definitely uh, grab some coffee and, and catch a hang, and we'll, we'll do another interview. And anything, I'm going to get this interview up later and be cutting up different audio segments of it. But if you yeah. – um, if there's anything else I can do, man, I, it was just such a high honor to connect with you, man. Well, it's a, a pleasure talking with you, Jake. Uh, thank you so much for your interest, and I hope this uh, this is the the catalyst. I know, I know. In some, I can just uh, Harrison has come into my consciousness the last few months. I can't say that I was ever a Beatles fanatic. Obviously, I knew who they were, and you know, I can I'm beyond appreciative of what they did, but. Something's gonna happen through through these uh, through this this energy this movement. You know, you just got to get some momentum going. All it takes is one person, and you know what? Yeah. It, I, you know, and and I pray for I pray for peace, and I, I I pray that we can move forward as a society. It's I I feel very um I don't feel very good about the in in three weeks what's going to transpire, but I just pray, oh. and somehow I hope that. Maybe we need some magic, you know. We need some kind of ma- need moon dog magic coming through right moon now. Moon dog magic, I like that. But here's my, my go ahead. What I keep telling my 
my sons who are phenomenal musicians in their own right. Wow. Um, that when we show up, we win. How, absolutely. You, that's, I mean, at the end of the day, all you can do is vote. The, the, the problem, the scary part is that that's the one thing they're really trying to manipulate is the person's yeah. ability to vote, which that's is all we have. Because that's, they know they don't have the numbers. That's right. So they have to manipulate it in order to make sure that the numbers come down and that it's because it, and I told that, you know, the, uh, I don't want to, I can't get into it. It's fine. No, you know what it is? I just, I, I, um, do me a favor, text me or email me a couple of good shots from the Moondog days, long hair, uh, some of that skin cream commercial stuff. I want to use that as the photo JPEG for the interview. <laughs> <laughs> or send me whatever really? photo you want. You know, I don't care. You know, it's fine. Really? Oh my God. Well, it's just, scary. you know, harken back to the days of Moondog, man. And, you know, or yeah. even even the Jesse Roscoe days. I don't care. Mid eight, you know, just something, you know, when you were in the thick of it, you know? Well, um, I'll send you. A, send me whatever you want. I'm just kidding around. It's just, you've lived a very magical existence, man. <laughs> I've been, look, the word that my wife and I both use is grateful. We are very, very. Gratitude grateful. is the attitude, my yeah. man. Yeah, gratitude at the end. Of it. So, where can I hear this and when? Okay, and you, when? I'm gonna, I'm gonna edit it down, and you'll be the first, yeah. you'll be the first to get it. I'll, I'll text you a link to it. You can stream it. But I, I, I need a couple of photos first, so I can put it in the, I can upload that into the JPEG. But okay. yeah, it'll be up tonight, and we'll, I will blast it out on new. And you know, however we want to use it, we can take the choice. I think you said some very salient stuff <clears throat> related to the concert, so I can chop some stuff up. Whatever you know, however you want to proceed, I'm. I'm I'm in it to win it, man. Okay, great. What's um What's the name of the podcast? The Jake Feinberg Show, and I'm on Spotify, um, and a host of others. I mean, I, it, it's uh, I'm on YouTube as well, but this will be on. Do you, do you have Spotify or no? Yeah. All right, so yeah. that that that'll be the major driving force for the that that'll be the big <laughs> biggest platform. But it'll be on about eight different platforms tonight. Great. Much um, love, man. And uh, just, quick, yeah. just quickly, how sure. do you know Rob? How did you connect with Rob? <laughs> uh, pretty cosmically, um, I, I'm trying to think here. That's a great question. I think because I, I, I had very maybe seven years ago, I called the L.A. Musicians Union and uh, asked for Jim Keltner's number. I called it, left a voicemail. Next thing you know, I'm getting a call back from Keltner, and then we've proceeded to do – Seven uh, seven hours of interviews about stuff that nobody's ever – he loves talking. We just have been having a ball. And then at one point he was like – he brought up his – Rob Feinfield. I'm like, who is this – not only do we have similar last names, I'm like, who is this cat? So immediately yeah. I couldn't believe his devotion to the musicians and what an advocate he is. So I, next thing you know, in 2018 I showed up at his office and we did a couple of – I'll send you some stuff. You'll, you'll be cracking up. But, yeah, it's, it's been a relatively new – but the beautiful thing is – Kind of lost contact during COVID recently yeah. uh, because of his birthday. I threw up this great clip on Facebook of him talking about this very thing. And at that point, it galvanized him to say, let's, let's move on this. And so it's been, you know, it's cosmic. And I just feel like we're, we're going to make this thing happen. So I'm excited. It sounds, it sounds like it, it will come to fruition, my son. 
My, and, and you have seen these things, ha- you've witnessed these things before, so I'm very confident yeah. that it will happen. Yeah, absolutely. Much love, man. Man, same to you. Take good care and keep safe. Jay. All right, Thank man. You. Talk to you soon. All right, brother. Please. All right. Bye. Bye.